Environment Today is a podcast about the current state of our planet's environment and ways to contribute to the health and prosperity of our ecosystem. Content presented by Amy and James Sharp. I'm James Sharp. And I'm Amy Sharp. All information being discussed today is from the report The Ocean and Cryosphere in a Changing Climate, Part C. This summary for policymakers was formally approved at the second joint session of working groups 1 and 2 of the IPCC and accepted by the 51st session of the IPCC, Principality of Monaco, 24th September, 2019. Environment Today's podcast will bring this and other current scientific reports on our environment to you every two weeks putting these details into layman's terms as much as possible. You will receive a great deal more information than you would hear or read in short blurbs of daily news briefings. We want to bring you all the key facts in detail and then provide real-life solutions that you can implement after hearing the facts of each report. Who is the IPCC? The IPCC is an intergovernmental panel on climate change that is part of the United Nations body and is solely tasked with assessing the science related to climate change. This summary for policymakers compiles key findings of the report and is structured in three parts. Part A, Observe Changes in Impacts, which was covered two podcasts ago. Part B, Projected Changes and Risks, our last podcast, and then Part C, Implementing Responses to Ocean and Cryosphere Change, which is the part we will be discussing today. The Importance of the Ocean and Cryosphere for People All people on Earth depend directly or indirectly on the ocean and cryosphere, The global ocean covers 71% of the Earth's surface and contains about 97% of the Earth's water. The cryosphere refers to the frozen components of the Earth system. Around 10% of Earth's land area is covered by glaciers or ice sheets. The ocean and cryosphere support unique habitats and are interconnected with other components of the climate system through global exchange of water, energy, and carbon. Impacts of climate-related changes in the ocean and cryosphere increasingly challenge current governance efforts to develop and implement adaptation responses from local to global scales, and in some cases pushing them to their limits. People with the highest exposure and vulnerability are often those with lowest capacity to respond. The scales of climate change impacts in ocean and cryosphere and their societal consequences operate on time horizons which are longer than those of governance arrangements. For example, planning cycles, public and corporate decision-making cycles, and financial instruments. Such time frame differences challenge the ability of societies to adequately prepare for and respond to long-term changes. Examples include changing landslides and floods in high mountain regions, 
and risks to important species and ecosystems in the Arctic, as well as to low-lying nations and islands, small island nations, and other coastal regions to the coral reef ecosystems. Governance arrangements are, in many contexts, too fragmented across administrative boundaries and sectors to provide integrated responses to the increasing risks from climate-related changes in the ocean and our cryosphere. The capacity of governance systems in polar and ocean regions to respond to climate change impacts has strengthened recently, but this development is not sufficiently rapid or robust to adequately address the scale of increasing projected risks. In high mountains, coastal regions, and small islands, there are also difficulties in coordinating climate adaptation responses due to the many interactions of climatic and non-climatic risk drivers across scales, sectors, and policy domains, such as inaccessibility, demographic and settlement trends, or land subsidence caused by local activities. Land subsidence is a gradual settling or sudden sinking of the Earth's surface owing to subsurface movement of Earth materials. There are reasons that have been identified as barriers and limitations for adaptation to climate change in ecosystems. Limitations include the space that ecosystems require, human impacts that need to be addressed as part of the adaptation response, the inability to meet the needs to help ecosystems because of climate change, the slower ecosystem recovery rates because of the recurrence of climate impacts, availability of technology, knowledge, and financial support, and existing governance arrangements. Implementing responses are limited because of financial, technological, institutional, and other barriers, which holds back building and risk reduction measures. Adaptive capacity continues to differ between as well as within communities and societies. People with highest exposure and vulnerability to current and future hazards from ocean and cryosphere changes are often also those with the lowest adaptive capacity, particularly in low-lying islands and coasts, Arctic and high mountain regions with development challenges. The ocean and cryosphere-related ecosystems can be supported by protection, restoration, management of renewable resource use, and the reduction of pollution and other stressors. Integrated water management solutions approach lower climate risks locally and provide multiple societal benefits. However, all of the ecosystem-based adaptation discussed so far will only be effective under the lowest levels of warming. Networks of protected areas help maintain ecosystem services, including carbon uptake and storage, and enable future ecosystem-based adaptation options by facilitating the regional movements of species, populations, and ecosystems that occur in response to warming and sea level rise. Geographic barriers, ecosystem degradation, habitat fragmentation, 
and barriers to regional cooperation limit the potential for such networks to support future species range shifts in marine, high mountain, and polar land regions. Terrestrial and marine habitat restoration and ecosystem management tools, such as assisted species relocation and coral gardening, can be locally effective in enhancing ecosystem-based adaptation. Such actions are most successful when they are community-supported science-based initiatives using local and indigenous knowledge, which have long-term support that includes the reduction or removal of non-climatic stressors and under the lowest levels of warming. For example, coral reef restoration options may be ineffective if global warming exceeds 1.5 degrees Celsius because corals are already at high risk at current levels of warming. Strengthening precautionary approaches, such as rebuilding overexploited or depleted fisheries, and responsiveness of existing fisheries management strategies, reduces negative climate change impacts on fisheries, with benefits for regional economies and livelihoods. Fisheries management that regularly assess and update measures over time reduce risks for fisheries, but has limited ability to address ecosystem change. Restoration of vegetated coastal ecosystems, such as mangroves, tidal marshes, and seagrass meadows, could provide climate change mitigation through increased carbon uptake and storage of around one-half percent of current global emissions annually. Improved protection and management can reduce carbon emissions from these ecosystems. Together, these actions also have multiple other benefits, such as providing storm protection, improving water quality, and benefiting biodiversity and fisheries. Improving methods of carbon storage and greenhouse gas fluxes of these coastal ecosystems will reduce current uncertainties around measurement, reporting, and verification. Ocean renewable energy can support climate change mitigation and can create energy sources from offshore winds, tides, waves, thermal and salinity gradient, and algal biofuels. The emerging demand for alternative energy sources is expected to generate economic opportunities for the ocean renewable energy sector, although their potential may also be affected by climate change. Integrated water management approaches across multiple scales can be effective at addressing impacts and leveraging opportunities from cryosphere changes in high mountain areas. These approaches also support water resource management through the development and optimization of multi-purpose storage and release of water from reservoirs. Coastal communities face challenging choices in crafting integrated responses to sea level rise that balances costs, benefits, and trade-offs. All types of options including protection, accommodation, ecosystem-based adaptation, coastal advance and retreat wherever possible, can play important roles in such integrated responses. The higher the sea levels rise, 
the more challenging is coastal protection, mainly due to economic, financial, and social barriers, rather than due to technical limits. In the coming decades, we will benefit most by reducing local drivers of exposure and vulnerability, such as coastal urbanization and human-induced subsidence. Where space is limited and the value of exposed assets is high, such as in cities, hard protection like dikes are likely to be cost-efficient response options during the 21st century, but resource-limited areas may not be able to afford such investments. Where space is available, multiple other solutions may be available, such as carbon storage, improved water quality, biodiversity conservation, and livelihood support. Some coastal accommodation measures, such as early warning systems and flood-proofing of buildings, are often both low-cost and highly cost-efficient under current sea levels. Under projected sea level rise and increase in coastal hazards, some of these measures become less effective unless combined with other measures. All types of options, including protection, accommodation, ecosystem-based adaptation, coastal advance and planned relocation, can play important roles in such integrated responses. Where the community affected is small or in the aftermath of a disaster, reducing risk by coastal planned relocations is worth considering if safe alternative localities are available. Such planned relocation can be socially, culturally, financially, and politically difficult to achieve, though. Responses to sea level rise and associated challenges can be eased by using locally appropriate combinations of decision analysis, land use planning, public participation, diverse knowledge systems, and conflict resolution approaches that are adjusted over time as circumstances change. Despite the large uncertainties about the magnitude and rate of post-2050 sea level rise, many coastal decisions with time horizons of decades to over a century are being made now. For example, critical infrastructure, coastal protection works, and city planning and can be improved by taking relative sea level rise into account, favoring flexible responses that can be adapted over time. Today's decisions can be supported by implementing monitoring systems for early warning signals, periodically adjusting decisions and using robust decision-making approaches, expert judgment, scenario building, and multiple knowledge systems that will help solve problems over a long-term time horizon. Sea level rise risks and responses. The term response is used here instead of adaptation because some responses, such as retreat, may or may not be considered to be adaptation. This assessment distinguishes between two contrasting response scenarios. No to moderate response describes efforts as of today that include no further significant action or new types of actions. Maximum potential response 
represents a combination of responses implemented to their full extent and thus significant additional efforts compared to today, assuming minimal financial, social, and political barriers. The assessment does not account for changes in extreme sea level beyond those directly induced by mean sea level rise. Risk levels could increase if other changes in extreme sea levels were considered. For example, changes due to cyclone intensity. The assessment has been conducted for each sea level rise and response scenario. The assessment criteria include exposure and vulnerability of ecosystems, coastal hazards like flooding, shoreline erosion, and salinization. Criteria also include already in place responses, like hard engineered coastal defenses, ecosystem restoration, or creation of new natural buffer areas, and subsidence management and planned relocation. Planned relocation refers to managed retreat or resettlement as described in Chapter 4. For example, proactive and local-scale measures to reduce risk by relocating people, assets, and infrastructure. Forced displacement is not considered in this assessment. Enabling climate resilience and sustainable development depends critically on urgent and ambitious emissions reductions coupled with coordinated, sustained, and increasingly ambitious adaptation actions. Key enablers for implementing effective responses to climate-related changes in the ocean and cryosphere include intensifying cooperation and coordination among governing authorities. Education and climate literacy, monitoring and forecasting, use of all available resources, sharing of data, addressing social vulnerability and equity, financing and institutional support are also essential. Such investments enable the solutions to come into place, as well as the negotiation of trade-offs and the realization of co-benefits in reducing short-term risks and building long-term resilience to sustainability. This report reflects the state of science for ocean and cryosphere for low levels of global warming one and a half degrees Celsius, as also assessed in earlier IPCC reports. In light of observed and projected changes in the ocean and cryosphere, many nations will face challenges to adapt, even with ambitious mitigation. In a high emissions scenario, many ocean and cryosphere-dependent communities are projected to face adaptation limits during the second half of the 21st century. For example, biophysical, geographical, financial, technical, social, political, and institutional. Low emission outcomes limit the risks from ocean and cryosphere changes in this century and beyond and enable more effective responses, which brings benefits over time. Profound economic and institutional transformative change will enable these positive outcomes. Intensifying cooperation and coordination among governing authorities across scales, jurisdictions, sectors, policy domains, and planning horizons 
can enable effective responses to changes in the ocean, cryosphere, and to sea level rise. Regional cooperation, including treaties and conventions, can support adaptation action. However, the extent to which responding to impacts and losses arising from changes in the ocean and cryosphere is enabled through regional policy frameworks and is currently limited. What is needed is coordination between national and transboundary regional policies that can support efforts to address risks to resource security and management, such as water and fisheries. What has been our experience to date when looking at how regions have addressed things like sea level rise? Our experience to date. For example, in responding to sea level rise, as well as water-related risks in some high mountains and climate change risks in the Arctic, we are seeing each region's influence of taking a long-term perspective when making short-term decisions. Slow decision-making on short-term decisions increases risks for the long-term. Investments in education and the providing of knowledge of what capabilities are available at various levels helps to facilitate social learning and ultimately brings long-term capability for faster responses to reduce risk and enhance resilience. Specific activities include utilization of multiple knowledge systems and regional climate information into decision-making and the engagement of local communities, indigenous peoples, and relevant stakeholders to promote climate literacy. Drawing on local, indigenous, and scientific knowledge systems enables public awareness, understanding, and social learning about locally specific risks and response potential. Such investments can develop and in many cases transform existing institutions and enable informed interactive and adaptive governance arrangements that are effective. Monitoring and forecasting of changes in the ocean and the cryosphere creates better planning and implementation and facilitates robust decisions on trade-offs between short and long-term gains. Sustained long-term monitoring, sharing of data, information and knowledge, and improved forecasts, including early warning systems to predict more extreme El Nino-La Nina events, tropical cyclones, and marine heat waves, help to manage negative impacts from ocean changes, such as losses in fisheries and adverse impacts on human health, food security, agriculture, coral reefs, aquaculture, wildfire, tourism, conservation, drought, and flood. As many things have been mentioned here, Prioritizing measures to address social vulnerability and equity underpins efforts to promote fair and just climate resilience and sustainable development, and can be helped by creating safe community settings for meaningful public participation, deliberation, and conflict resolution. This assessment of the ocean and cryosphere in a changing climate reveals the benefits of ambitious mitigation, 
and effective adaptation for sustainable development, and conversely, the escalating costs and risks of delayed actions. The potential to chart climate-resilient development outcomes varies within and among ocean, high mountain, and polar land regions. Realizing this potential depends on our transformative change. This highlights the urgency of prioritizing what needs to be done in a timely, ambitious, coordinated, and enduring action. Taking this call to action today will help tomorrow everywhere and for everyone. What can I do today to make a difference? third month of living with the COVID-19 pandemic in America and up to six months in other parts of the world like China. During this time, we have seen unprecedented changes that have come from a global lockdown of society. Airplanes cannot fly and future air traffic is expected to be significantly reduced. Cruises are at a standstill and are trying to create new functionality to allow them to sail again. Suppliers' factories are closed or are in the process of opening slowly. Cars are not driving as much as the population is under some form of lockdown or restriction. Manufacturing has slowed and many of the pollutants to our daily world are not happening as a result of this. We have seen a dramatic, dynamic, and swift change in our world's ecosystem. Streams are running clearer. Skies are less polluted. Carbon emissions have reduced greatly around the world. Many animals are returning to habitats that they had been pushed out of. We see animals going places in our national parks that they have steered clear of in the past due to tourist traffic. Things have gotten better in many ecosystems in a very short period of time. This tells us we have a chance we can make a difference for our Earth's health just by doing less of the things that have caused the pollution and damage to our ecosystem. This can and will make a dramatic difference. When the lockdown is lifted, consider making a written plan. Think about what you can do to not return to life as it was. How can I reduce consumption and pollution by my own activities or thinking about changing the activities that I've done in the past that have created harm to our beloved planet. Being conscious of your part, my part, all of our pathways that we create in our global community, as we have seen, we can all make a vast improvement for our world. hope you join me next time when we cover more important research that is found each day that will help us to understand where we are today and what we can do to help our tomorrow. Please join us then to learn more about the environment today.